Al Jazeera podcast. The last time we heard from Yumna Al Sayed, Al Jazeera's Gaza correspondent, she had left home. My family and three other families had evacuated with us from Gaza City to the south in Khan Yunus. All of them had left Gaza City with thousands of others following the Israeli order to more than one million residents of northern Gaza to evacuate. But Yomna and her family soon returned, as she told us during a busy day out reporting. We decided to take the trip back to Gaza City to our homes. In all cases, there is a bombardment here and a bombardment there. We thought we'd rather die in our homes with dignity than die while we're all crowded in one small, tidy place, while the conditions remain the same. Since Yumna's return, badly needed humanitarian supplies have also arrived in Gaza. The first aid trucks are finally making their way from the Egyptian side of the crossing into Gaza, where they will be inspected. But it hasn't relieved the suffering or the anxiety of what Israel's war will bring next. The conditions haven't been any better. They've just become worse and worse. So where is the war headed? And where will it take the people of Gaza? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. In Gaza City, Yumna's daily life is a series of calculations. If we want to move around, we'd rather walk. It might be safer than getting targeted in the cars and also so that we can save the fuel or the little fuel that we still have in our cars. There's no fuel in the strip. And we have to calculate every single place before we drive to it, if we do. Because that means that we're going to be using the last amount of fuel that we have in our cars. Israel imposed a complete siege on Gaza on October 9th, meaning food, fuel, and water could not get in. It wasn't until Saturday that the first delivery of humanitarian aid arrived through the Rafah crossing from Egypt. But it's nowhere near enough. UN officials say at least 100 aid trucks would be needed daily just to meet Gaza's essential needs. So far, only a few dozen have been allowed in. Now, these trucks basically carry medications, canned food and drinking water. But the amounts that these trucks carry are barely even sufficient for torture the population. We're talking about over 2 million people in the Gaza Strip that have been completely under blockade the past almost three weeks now. There is great shortage of food. There's no water in the Strip. It's very hard to find some water. There's no electricity. 
these trucks were not carrying any fuel, on the other hand, and the medications that they were carrying, the Ministry of Health in Gaza is saying it could be, are very few to what the hospitals actually need. And even the kinds and amounts of uh, medications and medical supplies are not what is required in this critical and catastrophic time. At least 400 Palestinians have been killed in some of the worst overnight attacks on the territory, according to health officials in Gaza. Those rescued are taken to one of the dwindling number of hospitals still functioning. But even there, the threat is constant. The Ministry of Health is saying that the bombardments on the civilians and different areas in the Gaza Strip are causing great burns in the bodies of the civilians and they're causing their skin to melt and they actually call for an international investigation on what kind of weaponry is being used and what kind of bombardments are being used on the civilians of Gaza and is also calling the international community to provide medications that are suitable for such cases because there aren't any in the Gaza Strip. And with such widespread suffering and destruction in Gaza, Yumna says it's hard to feel like the aid trucks are making a difference. We're talking about over 2 million residents in the Gaza Strip, all under the same circumstances and conditions. That's no water, no food, and no medication. For these aids to make a difference in the lives of every Gazan, to actually feel that there is an aid that has been distributed, that is not just 54 trucks needed for that change or that difference to be made. It's way more than that. That need could get much bigger as the threat of an Israeli ground invasion looms. Until a few days ago, it seemed that the ground invasion was imminent. That's changed right now. Uh, lots of people are just waiting when it's going to happen. Al Jazeera correspondent Teresa Bo is following Gaza from outside, in southern Israel, where she's been watching the military buildup. I'm currently in Ashdod in southern Israel. We have seen massive troop deployment all around this area. We have seen hundreds of thousands of soldiers of tanks, armor vehicles heading this way, surrounding Gaza, in a way signaling that a, a ground invasion could be happening soon. While Teresa says the timing of the offensive remains up for speculation, for Israel, there's one objective that's clear. The Ministry of Defense has uh, told its troops that this ground offensive will take place, that Hamas will be terminated. We have also heard from senior commanders that are visiting this part of the country, talking to soldiers that this offensive will take place, that uh, they want to bring Hamas to a place of dissolution, that they will attack strongly, kill senior commanders, kill operatives, destroy infrastructures, and rid the Gaza Strip from the influence 
of Hamas. The soldiers that we have spoken to say that they're ready to go into Gaza. Many people here want revenge. They were shaken with the attacks that happened on October 7th. They believe that the government wants, has to terminate Hamas and the Islamic Jihad. They want them to put an end to the risks that people in southern Israel face from the Gaza Strip. But also many of the people we have spoken to say that they're shaken, that they do not feel safe anymore, that they do not trust the government. And Israel has acknowledged that achieving that goal will require extended fighting, with many casualties. Defense Minister Yoav Gallant met with the U.S. Secretary of State last week. So let me tell you, Mr. Secretary, this will be a long war. The price will be high, but we are going to win for Israel, for the Jewish people, and for the values that both countries believe in. And Teresa is starting to see signs that the invasion is near. There's been an incident that the Israeli military acknowledged existed where one soldier was killed and at least three others were injured. Israel says its soldiers carried out a limited raid inside Gaza overnight to find out more about where hostages are being held by Hamas. Apparently they entered Gaza for a rapid raid and this is when Hamas attacked with an anti-tank missile. And this opens the questions about what type of ground offensive will take place, whether it's going to be a massive offensive with the tanks, among other things, or it's going to be a series of rapid raids into the Gaza Strip to kill top commanders, uh, destroy infrastructures, among other things. After the break, a look at the possible answers to those questions and what could lie ahead in a ground invasion. On the Inside Story podcast, we discuss the extent of U.S. military aid to Israel in its war on Gaza. Would Washington join this war? And what would be the fallout in the Middle East? Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To look into when and how Israel could launch an attack by land in Gaza, we turn to a longtime military analyst. My name is Zoran Kusovac, and I've been an analyst and journalist for almost 40 years. Uh, I've covered over 20 wars in the Balkans, parts of Europe, Middle East, of course, Afghanistan, North Africa. So I've been, I'm quite experienced in analyzing wars. I've been doing it for a long time and I learned from my own mistakes as well as from everything else. And Zoran says for now, with this war, it's mostly guesswork. I believe most analysts expected between a week and 10 days uh, for Israel to get ready and to be in a position to launch the invasion. Of course, none of us are privy to the thinking of the Israeli uh, high command, neither the civilian part nor the military part. However, it hasn't happened. So we now have to ask ourselves, why hasn't it happened? And uh, if it happens, when it will happen? 
Zoran says Israel has a huge military advantage on paper, but that still might not be enough to handle the realities of war on the ground. Israel now has about half a million men and women under arms. Those are theoretically capable fighting forces, but they're spread fairly thin. Uh, there needs to be a big force surrounding Gaza and ready to move into Gaza. So a very rough estimate is that that force is at least 50,000, but could grow up to 150,000 if the intention is to move into Gaza by force and keep it occupied. If Israel attacks, the military would likely not be able to focus all of its troops on the Gaza front. Zoran says they would need to keep a contingent in the north for fear of Hezbollah in Lebanon. Probably in the region of 100,000 that they need to keep in the north. Additionally, uh, the West Bank is very tense. The settlers in the West Bank are very unsettled uh, by the events of October the 7th. They feel that they've been let down by the Israeli security forces and army. So they want revenge. They want to see blood. And they are right now a major cause of instability in the West Bank. So frankly, half a million uh, having to cover all that is not really that much. It doesn't leave a huge fighting force for Gaza. According to Zorin, the Israeli raids that happened on Sunday are likely only a precursor to a much larger scale assault. A smaller raids uh, might be a good show before the big attack, but they will not solve anything. Um, there might be even a, an occasional success of a small raiding party with good intelligence going in and rescuing a few hostages. But all that is more of a PR than a military solution. Israel last launched an invasion into Gaza in 2014. But Zoran warned that Israel's past decades in Gaza are unlikely to be a prediction of how things will go this time, when it comes to Hamas in particular. Israel knows the territory in Gaza, but it's changed a lot in the meantime. There's a network of tunnels. Even when Israel was occupying Gaza physically, there were tunnels uh, mainly used to smuggle all sorts of things between Israel and the Gaza Strip. But right now, seeing how successful those tunnels are, Hamas has created a network that is really huge and extensive. I've just heard a claim that I find difficulty in believing that the tunnels under the Gaza Strip are longer than 300 miles. That's staggering. That's immense. That's huge. That length would be bigger than the New York City subway system. But tunnels are not the only advantage Hamas would have fighting on its own territory. Hamas has several thousand fighters. How many, we don't know. In the urban fight, even every small asset gets multiplied by the environment. So we could say that Hamas would have tens of thousands of people uh, contributing to uh, the fighting from pure civilians who would do the first aid tasks, who would do observation, early warning, etc. So attackers in urban warfare are at a huge disadvantage. They cannot use uh, sophisticated technology. They cannot use tanks. They cannot use armored personnel carriers. They can, but only up to a point. Once you get inside the city, 
you're fighting, you made trouble, I mean, destroyed buildings, and literally every stone, every destroyed building can be a death trap. This type of warfare, Zoran says, is extremely, unbelievably bloody. And from his vantage point, the end game is not clear. What would constitute an Israeli victory? We do not know. For Yumna and everyone she's speaking to on the streets in Gaza, the question of an Israeli invasion isn't about strategy. It's about survival. The land invasion is a very scary idea for the population here because just through airstrikes, we have over 5,000 people killed from the sky. A land invasion for the residents of Gaza means the fully wiping out and destruction of the Gaza Strip. It means that that number will be doubled. People don't know what to expect or how bad it's going to be. But it definitely is a frightening idea for the population when we mention land invasion in Gaza. And for her family, after leaving Gaza City, then returning, thinking about how to prepare has become too difficult to consider. I don't even think I have the energy. I don't have the emotions to think about or speak to my family about how bad a land invasion can be and what should be done. Most people in Gaza now have got to the point, and I'm one of those people, we've got to the point where we, we're losing interest, we're losing care every day more than the day before. The overwhelmness that we're in, the sorrow, the grief that we're living, just, it's too much to take. It's too much for any human to take. And that's why I don't think we even have that energy to even speak about a land invasion or what we should expect or how we should prepare ourselves because reality is we don't have anything to prepare ourselves with. We're just going to be staying at home like we are under the airstrikes. In terms of how bad it's going to be, we still haven't experienced how bad it's going to be. But I'm telling you, it's not going to be worse than what we are already feeling now. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn and Sariyad Khalili, with Chloe Kaylee, Khalid Sultan, David Enders, Amy Walters, Sonia Bagat, Ashish Malhotra, Zaina Badzer, Veronisa Campana, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>